Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. Oh yes, greetings people of the internet and particularly people of Instagram. Very nice to have you here. We've been doing our thing elsewhere on the internet for uh, these past two years and we've only just found Instagram. So I um, uh, hope you support us. We're not live on Instagram, unfortunately. We hope to be really soon. But do follow our feed um, for latest updates and vote. That's the most important thing, vote. Let's see who's on the show today, shall we? Oh, my goodness me! It's the spider queen of the internet! Yes, it's Emma Reed! Oh, and in the other corner, it's Latopia's hard man. He's never been known to give a score above two and a half! Well, slight exaggeration there. Let's say hello to Emma. Very good to have you back. What did we say to you last time, Emma, that made it such a long time? You must have been really angry with us or something, were you? <laughs> Has it been that long? I mean, yeah, I thought, in, I thought you were pissed COVID off with times, <laughs> Of course not. Of course not. Oh. I think in, in COVID times, it seems like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I know. I know. It's all a blur, isn't it? But I did isn't get a bag it? of chips last week and that was great. Did you uh, did you read anything interesting? Would you like to recommend a book for us today? I have been reading lots and lots. Um, I'm a children's author, so I've read a lot of children's books. Um, and my recommendation for today is yeah. a book called Dosh by Rashmi Serdashbandi. Oh. And it's nonfiction. So um, I've read tons, tons of fantastic fiction, but um, I love this. I love this book. My seven-year-old son is obsessed with this book. It's about money. He loves money. Yeah. Um, but so the reason the reason I'm recommending it is because I love it too, and my what, what money my or the book, the book. And okay, money, fair we just need to get money. that straight. All right, yeah. <laughs> uh, serious um, point. Actually, um, very few books educate children about money, and I don't think that's even done yes. in schools. Exactly, and it's mm. it's got tips on budgeting, um, how not to be uh, caught out by advertising, trying to sell you things yep. that you don't yep. want to, and it covers giving away to charity, saving your money. Um, I mean, I learned so much while I was reading it to my wow. my little boy. So I don't even know what age to recommend this for because everybody, uh, I think yeah. everybody should yeah. read this. Book. <laughs> yeah, terrific. Thank you very very much, Emma. Um, and that is, I've completely uh, ruined things. Now, haven't I? See, that's actually what Jeff was going to recommend. So oh, yeah. I'm going to say to you, Jeff, have you got a book? For oh, yes, you have. Look, there it is. There it is. Yeah, all right. It's Guy de Maupassant. Selected short stories. Tell us about it. Yeah, I really like this book. I mean, what I liked about most is I've got a number of short stories in there. Um, they're very they're quite simple, really, um, but very, very, I think, very, very well, well written. Um, but it's complete. It's completely like as if it's uh, there's a lot of stories there all the same. It's where it's yeah. right, and I think it's very, the characters as well. He's very much the for the sort of the, the lower lead people, if you like. Oh yeah, against the bourgeoisie and things. It's um, a lot about Paris in there in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very, I just really enjoy it. I said the, the actual. I think this 
to start off with short stories, that this is a good place to start, really. I know he's uh, in a bit of a sad life himself, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm being enjoying reading these. It's, it's, uh, that's such an I, interesting I recommendation because I've been, yeah. I've found myself over the past few days really interested in in French history from about 1850 to uh, what the Franco-Prussian War, and right. then the Commune, the Commune, which was so interesting. And of course, he he lived and wrote about those times too, didn't he? Well, Franco-Prussian War, yeah, one of his, uh, Boulle de Souf is one of his main stories there. Yeah. That is set in yeah. at that book, the war. Yeah. Well, two radically different books there from two radically different people, but both excellent recommendations. Thank you, folks. Make a priority submission at priority.latopia.com. Right, now the moment you've been waiting for, particularly if you made a submission last week. Um, well, let me show you what the submissions were. Okay, so we had five good submissions from five good authors. Fairly tight bunching there, 65% down to 25%. I I don't know how to tell you this. It was another, yet another, precedent-setting show last week. Um, Best I can do, actually, is let the numbers speak for themselves. This is how you voted. Look. We've never had that before. Never. The great book buying public uniformly backed just one submission. And that means James. Congratulations. Uh, It hasn't happened before. Hasn't happened before. It's a precedent setting show. Uh, You should feel very, very proud of yourself, James, for that. Congratulations. But let's see what's going to happen this time. Let's have a look at our first submission is speculative fiction, I assume. It's from Féline Charpentier, and it's called We Are All Islands. Not a fan of John Donne, I take it, Féline. Uh, This is Féline's blurb. What do you cling to when hope is your only life raft? It's four years since the water came. Anna is on the run and heavily pregnant. When London first flooded, Anna did something unforgivable, and her guilt has driven all of her terrible decisions since. She's heading for the only place she can remember, an artist's commune in the hills of Mid Wales, hoping she gets there before her baby is born. Trouble is, she's on the road with Mabel, and Mabel is unpredictable. Let me tell you about Feline. Um, was born in Germany, says Feline, uh, but grew up in a small holding in North Wales. Got a BA in English literature, and when not furloughed, <laughs> a happy furlough, um, I'm a teacher and a housemistress at a boarding school and have three children. I've written a few articles on teaching, one is yet unpublished retelling of Beowulf. Why do you Children's writers always want to retell Beowulf. It's usually the other end of their career. They have, you know, lots of best-selling, this, that, and the other. And then they think, oh, the one thing I really have to do, the the world needs, is another retelling of Beowulf. And their agents and publishers go, oh, don't, don't, please. So I'd be very curious to know why you want to do that. Um, Numerous short stories and review new German literature for the Goethe Institute imprint. How very interesting. How terribly... Educated of you. How erudite, in fact, means we've got to have Ali to read it, doesn't it? The first page. We're All Islands by Feline, read by Alison. In the beginning, the world looked the same, for a while at least, above the waterline, as if the baseline had simply been raised, the skyline unchanged. If you didn't look down, all you saw was the world as it had been. 
except your feet were submerged in black, briny water, an oily sheen floating on the top, reflecting the faces of the dying in translucent rainbows. The rain came, and everyone got used to that too. It was a year or so later that the trees got sick, the last of the wildlife disappeared, and the buildings began to corrode and sink. So many people had gone that the country felt empty. Not the cities, of course, but out here in the woods, on the road. The trees above her are completely bare, and the rain flops down in globules that stick to her skin. A greasy slick that makes Anna feel queasy despite her thirst. Mabel, a few feet away, has her tongue stuck out. She is swallowing the droplets with silent glee, eyes squeezed shut. Anna watches, too tired to move for a moment. Mabel turns her huge head and looks at her. Tongue still outstretched, dark eyes impassive. Droplets are trapped on her long, delicate eyelashes. Anna copies, desperate thirst winning over. It tastes impossibly green, as if it stole the colour from the leaves that are no longer there. She catches another and another, thirst only growing the more she drinks. A whole day, maybe more since she drank anything. Finding clean water is harder than ever. She must be careful. Needs to drink more. For the baby. They sit for another hour, afternoon wrapping itself around them, the rain getting heavier. They've not moved an inch, tongues still stuck out. Thank God they've not been found like this. They'd be locked up for sure, or something worse. Mabel gives an enormous, exaggerated yawn, showing off all her terrifying teeth. They must keep moving. It's been, what, three? No, maybe four nights since they ran, since they were dry. Anna feels swollen, as if rot is setting in. She points out through the trees, back to the road. Mabel grunts and pushes herself to her hands and feet. Anna copies her curved form, pushing her laden body up against the tree they leaned against. The moss leaves a green stain on her palms. They're almost entirely camouflaged now, both drenched, amphibian, creaking like the ancient trees around them. Weeks of heavy downpours, more than ever. They need to get further away, much further much higher. They must be close to the town now, no more than a day or two, and then head for the hills as soon as they can. They traipse back along the path they trod this morning, around the humps of sodden moss, the rotting tree trunks, shin-deep through brackish, heavy water, back to the tarmac road. It is risky, the road far too exposed, but they must keep going. They won't get far through the swamp. It wasn't just the giant tsunami that drowned half the country. The terrifying tide pushed along by falling glaciers that washed almost everyone away. It was what came after. There had been years of drought, nothing but sunshine, everyone telling them they'd made it all up, the climate conspiracists. Yes, there were floods every winter in the lowlands, and the crowds of migrants, those turfed out by the water, poor suckers from the floodplains, taking over every municipal space they could. But if the news lost interest, and so did the rest of them. They chose to believe the lies. It was just easier. They'd stopped worrying about the weather. Then, wham, the wave came. Rained for months after that, as if someone had given water a free pass, invited every drop along to the party, a year's worth every week. It was the rising seas when they swallowed up the edges of this silly little island. The ocean pushed its way underneath, salt water emerging in places as far from the ocean as Mabel and Anna are now. Springs of salt water bubbled up in Sheffield, in Oxford, even Manchester. The already swollen rivers polluted. The last of the fish, those that had managed to eke out a life in what was left of fresh water, dying in their thousands, drowning in the brine, pickled alive. Mm -hmm.
Okay, so Barbara, let's just have a quick um, uh, catch up with the genius room. So Barbara's using the P word down there, which she knows that has a very strong effect on me. Um, Johnny says, quite a nice post-apocalyptic start, well written but familiar. Uh, and Cora says, lovely writing, I'm intrigued and would definitely read on. Nice beginning. Robert says, what's the date, time period? Good point. I'm really missing a sense of place. Victoria, well written, lonely, need a little more of why and when, yeah. And then a bit later, Ancora says, I think we needed less of the exposition here, which I'd agree with. Uh, lots of world building, says Kate. Like the writing. What's different about this, says Johnny. Good point. It's losing me, says Galadriel. Um, yeah, so lots of lots of good reactions there, uh, Feline. So you may just want to uh, stop the recording at this point. Just read what people are saying. You're getting, you know, this is the laboratory, really, of writing. You've, you've got an opportunity now just to, to get uh, absolute pure gold. This is it's it's first reactions and that's you know you would pay good money and not even get that let's drop emma right into the deep end what did you think okay so my first impression was i'm loving this i mean i'm a big i'm a sucker for cli-fi and i like this kind of uh you know post flood oh yes setting that that is being portrayed so i I really love that i love the pitch as well that was a nice sort of cliffhanger on the pitch which really really you know made me excited about um the pages I thought it was a confident opening. I thought to start with, there was um, it was it was nice. There was minimal exposition, and we started to see the characters, the terrifying teeth, the amphibian um, nature of the characters, and then the writer went back into a bit of exposition, and that yeah. I think yeah. is where they needed to stick with that action and, and carry us along with those characters because I was Perfectly. just starting to yeah. to feel for them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more actually, and, and really nicely put. I, mean, I was I was looking for those words. That's exactly what happened. It kind of it went the wrong way. We wanted to yeah. go to yeah, absolutely right. What did you think, Jeff? Yeah, I thought it was pretty much like Emma's words, really. Um, I didn't like the beginning bit so much. I thought it was too much imagery, imagery for, for me. It was just, there needs to be a lot of bad adjectives in there. The story's mm. going well. I would have liked to know, given a hint of, we know they're, they're obviously escaping from something. What was they're escaping from? Were they trying to go to? Yeah. So to me, that was really nice. Just a little bit bit extended something I'd like to say. Um, I think the writer was very good. But, yeah, I, I agree. The second part wasn't good as the first part, the exposition, and it starts to lose me towards the end. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that as well, actually. Um, but it's very nice, confident writing, as the chat room pointed out. Emily says, beautiful reading alley, which it totally was. Um, and Kate agrees with that. So, a bit of a history lesson, says Barbara. I felt that as well, actually. I wanted to know more. I was getting into the story, and then I was being told all these things, actually. A lot of telling going on, actually, at the wrong point. So, Emma, you've got to give it some numbers. One, banish it from my sight. Five, I, I, want, I want to make love to it and have his babies. Oh. I'm torn. I'm really torn with this one. I, do you know what? I'm, f- I'm having a good day. I'm going to give it a four because I just think it's got massive potential. Yeah, it has, hasn't it? It has, absolutely, Jeff. Yeah, I think it's good as well. I'm uh, not saying anything about it, so I'm going to give it a three. Three. Right, OK. So um, I nearly gave it a four, but then... Um, being an enthusiastic agent, of course, um, absolutely besotted with enthusiasm, enthusiasm. But then, actually, yes, there were some issues. I would like, I would like a little bit more original. I'd also, Feline, I think the next step in your your writing is to, is to use fewer words. I often say this to to writers: the the 
you know, the peak of writing really is to convey more meaning with fewer words. Um, and if you do that, just a little bit sparser, a little bit more economy of, of, of writing and still get more meaning, you'll be amazed what effect it has. You'll have agents and publishers clamouring over you. So it's going to be a three from me. Yeah, it's a very good start, actually. Extremely good start. We'll have a look in a moment and see what the chat room um, is saying. And they have, they've gone for 3-2, which is, I think, very realistic, actually. Yes, could easily have been a 4. Very respectable start, Feline. More than respectable. Let's see if we can continue our, our winning streak with the next submission. And this is from Nick. Nick Dijala. I think I've said that right, Nick, but I do tend to mangle people's names. If there's a possibility I can mangle your name, I probably will, so um, d please send a pronunciation guide if you think I'm going to make a mess of it. This is called Never Mind the Bacon. It's a humorous prison memoir. And this is your blurb, Nick. Think Dr. K's This Is Gonna Hurt, but set in a prison. Never mind the bacon, charts the demise of a music producer who's dragged into a murky and hazardous life of crime. This memoir was recorded by the author whilst imprisoned in Ireland for hashish smuggling. Oh, it's a bit unfair, isn't it? It catalogues the day-to-day -day difficulties that the men face behind the wire, as well as some of the fateful events that steered him towards his final incarceration. <gasps> wow. So let me tell everybody, um, I, actually, I don't think this is really about you. Well, I mean, it's a memoir, so <sighs> I'm just going to carry on reading this, but I think this is part of your blurb, actually. It's sort of a memoir, uh, the, um, the blurb kind of merges with the bio. Uh, re read all about the roller coaster highs and lows of my life, including uh, performing in an Italian X Factor judged by a capo de capo mob boss. That should have been fun. Uh, one of the main players in Anglo-Irish relations during the IRA ping-pong wars. What you were. Hmm. The youngest band to headline a stage at Glastonbury Festival. Surviving a near-death hairdressing experience. <laughs> On the inside, working for the secret mafia missionaries in the Himalayas. I can't even begin to think. Um, accidentally overdosing on a dodgy consignment of Eccles cakes. Ooh, right. Well, this looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, to say the least. So can we ask, please, Kate, to give it a go? Never page. Mind the Bacon by Nick. Read by Kate. Friday, Dublin Criminal Courts. If you judge them, you have no time to love them. Mother Teresa. It's my big day in court for sentencing. It's just a formality, really, as I have already pleaded guilty to the offence, although who exactly I have offended, nobody can tell me. I had presumed that that would have had to be the whole pivotal part of the prosecution's case against me. But when I say this to my barrister, he just yawns and increases his day rate. Today it is all just down to what his old lordy lordship deduces is a suitable amount of time that I should be banished to the hinterlands, wasting away, hermetically sealed and safely absent from society in a small chamber for my sins. A lonesome place where I will be forever dreaming of a tender woman's touch, a spectacular starlight night, the calming soothe of the ocean and trying to remember what a Jamie's stuffed focaccia tastes like. 
I find it a very strange concept to get my head around. That is, that one man that you have never met has the power to tell another man he has never met exactly how long the first man should be prevented from enjoying a bit of artisan bread. But maybe I'm overthinking the process. In reality, it really is all very straightforward. The evidence is put forward by the prosecution. My barrister agrees with the evidence, but then tries to mitigate my transgression by trying to convince the judge that the man in the dock he's looking at is, in fact, St Winfrith Boniface in disguise. My barrister does a very good job and almost succeeds in the deception with a sterling oratory about the common integrity of my character. It's hard for me to hear him clearly from the back of the court, but I think, he says, I could be much more useful to society if I was on the outside doing a job of some kind so I could continue paying my taxis. I'm not sure how my barrister knew this, but it's the truth, Your Honour. That's one thing I have always paid for. Mind you, with these Uber cabs, it's not like you have the choice anymore, is it? The judge retires from the court to contemplate his verdict, accompanied with my massive folder of lies. Oh, sorry, I mean letters, photos and references, some sent from my associates, friends and well-wishers, and some I just made up. I hope he is looking at the forged photos I got, especially photoshopped for the occasion. There's a few of me associating and shaking hands with upstanding members of the community like Johanna Lumley and that man off Bargain Hunt. Surely he cannot send me down if he thinks I am mingling around with these sorts of honourable people. I decide to leave the phony imaginings of me playing golf with Barack Obama and opening a recycling centre with Ban Ki-moon out of the folder as my barrister thought that it was a bit far-fetched. The judge returns from his back room to announce the most monumental verdict of my lifetime after just seven and a half minutes. That's hardly enough time for him to go to the toilet, wash his hands properly and put his wig back on straight. Never mind read through the whole of my dodgy dossier of character references and snappy snaps. He coughs, then bangs his little mallet and gives me three and a half years in prison. And that's it. Finished. My barrister thanks him and then I think he asks why his lordship doesn't just make it tidier and round it off to a whole number like four or six. As I'm taken down to the cells, I'm still flabbergasted at him only taking 7.5 minutes to reach his verdict, to make a decision on my one and only life. That's 5.6 months a minute. Jesus, even Brian Cox, who is a professor, would find that equation difficult to comprehend. Seven and a half bloody minutes. He probably spends more time arguing with his conscience when he's in Waitrose trying to decide between getting the steak tagliatelle with tender stem broccoli or the lemon ricotta hot cakes with blueberry syrup. Okay, so you got some great reactions there, Nick, from uh, the genius room, because your panelists, including me, we can we can and do get things wrong. Uh, genius room never does, never. Never, not been known. And uh, good people like your voice, good voice. Um, says Johnny needs the serious edit to take out the padding. Barbara says I'm starting to dislike the narrator, and I know what she means. Actually, I don't think it's, it's anything personal against you. I think it's just as Katie said from YouTube. 
there's an archness about the writing that I think will grate, actually. It's nothing to do with you personally, it's just the, the style you've adopted. And Galadriel said something else I think is probably accurate, which is again a bit verbose. What did you think, Jeff? Um, I thought there was funny bits within there. Um, it did sound like, like sort of, you're at a party and somebody comes over and starts talking to you. And it got sort of yes. like a great story that goes on and on and on. Oh, please go away. Um, it was trying to be funny too much. It was, there was some humour in there, but it was just too... Uh, yeah. They were trying, really. Yeah, yeah. I think the formatting, that was really... You look and the editor that certainly does the, the spelling mistakes and things, the mistakes and grammar. Yeah, so it's easy print, print, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's different thing. But so, yeah, the copy is good. I didn't quite see where it was going. I know it's got it's quite funny things about five point six minutes, um, uh, but it's five point six minutes for every month inside and things. That was quite amusing. But uh, yeah, I just found it too forced, and on the mm. end, it just lost me really. Yeah, really it took gone. quite a long time to to make that point. You could have made that point in a sentence, really, yeah. Nick. Um, I've got a few, a few thoughts, but let's see what Emma's reaction is. Yes, agreeing over here. Um, you know, I was a bit concerned about comparing yourself to Adam Kay because he's very funny. Um, and I think any any one of those paragraphs was funny um, in itself. But one after the other was starting to feel a bit laborious. And yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. yeah absolutely agree with the uh, archness um, of the of the narrator's voice, which um, I think you picked up on, was yeah. definitely uh, starting to grate a little. Yeah, well, it did with Barbara. She was she was going to turn off actually. Uh, okay, <laughs> all right. So um, let's get a number from you, Jeff. I think it's a lot of work into it, but so there is elements there. But I'd say two for me. Two. Yeah, I felt that coming on. I have no idea what Dan was going to say. I'm, I'm going to agree with the two. Yeah, right, two, right. And as far as I'm concerned, Nick, um, I think I think you just want to get straight into it. Actually, it's, it's common common mistake. Lots and lots of writers make. We see it all the time on pop ups. So people kind of write themselves in, and then you know somebody in the, in the genius room says, "Oh, that was a prologue." And what's happening is the writers writing themselves into the book. Now it seems to me that you've given you know a little uh, list here actually of some of the extraordinary things that have happened to you. So that's what we want. We want anecdote after anecdote after anecdote you know great one leave us breathless you know leave us in the state that i'll just want read one more before i go to bed no no I don't. oh i've got to read this one that's that's the way to do this i've done one or two um prison memoir type things and um they you know we've got to be along for the ride we've got to be in there with you that's one of the great things that books do they can transport you in a way that nothing else can to somebody else's time and place and their experience and that's what we want all the time with with the the the, the prologue scene you're sort of passing judgment on the judge you know you sort of you know we want to be living it was it was it how exciting was it for example you know just waiting to hear how long you're going to go down for and you must have been Essing yourself um so yeah so i think there's lots of potential here but i'm at the moment i'm only going to give it a two based on the words that i've seen but i would encourage you to keep going um eva just asked brian cox any relation no and that's just got us demonetized again thank you speaking of which um, yeah, we uh, are not getting uh, shown up very much in people's YouTube feeds now for various reasons that I can only speculate about. So if you, uh, if you like what we're doing um, and you like to help us, you can do that by sharing it 
there's a little short link here just click that show it to a friend or two you might say oh this this come across this weird thing on the internet look what they're doing um that would be fun and uh leaving a comment that would be great too and also surprisingly significant this is why all these youtubers say it press the like button if you like it press the like button that is significant in ranking us on youtube's algorithm hopefully we'll get back in that in that good books again i hope i don't know let's have one more shall we and then we'll speak to emma this is from andrew it's called the time war oh that's interesting it's historical thriller slash science fiction and this is andrew's blurb the wars of the future are fought in the past it's the 22nd century to win his freedom jack hayden must lead a squad of men back to 1944 and refight the battle of arnhem the conflict will be televised from sky cameras and broadcast as entertainment back home i can see that happening yes stranded in the past when the time gate is hacked by a criminal gang the lives of his men depend on a solitary objective facing her what's her lies a deadly conspiracy so the objective is female is it not sure about that okay let me tell everybody about you andrew um uh, the novel says andrew was inspired by my love of history i used to write produce and direct documentaries in this genre for broadcast tv as well as my dvd publishing business which retailed in waterstones and hmb very good i've also written screenplays one of which reached the semi-finals of the blue cat competition in los angeles well done congratulations so um i think what we need to do is to better put our best foot forward now for you which means it's k the first page the time war by andrew gray read by k a russian winter is no place to die jack staggered clutching at his ruined leg with numb useless hands Darkness was descending across the empty wastes, the horizon lit only by the distant flashes of artillery exploding on the German lines. The wind tore at his cheeks, mocking him with flurries of sharp snow. Please, God, give me another chance, he prayed through bleeding lips gummed with frost. Striking a hard patch of ice with his boot, he fell into a thick drift, weeping with exhaustion. For a moment he lay still, sucking in deep breaths. The silent pine trees loomed like sentinels in the gloom. The pine trees. He was nearly at the forest where he had landed the herla. At the prospect of escape, he rose stiffly, his body shaking through the wet, filthy uniform, and dragged himself on, grunting with pain. And there it was, emerging into sight. Twenty feet of frozen winged metal sitting atop the snow like a graceful swan. He reached it and thumped his hand on the cockpit, sobbing with joy as the snow fell away and the flight deck pulsed into life. The thick hood whirred up silently, the lights flickering like fireflies. Jack clapped his hands, trying to get enough feeling to reach inside and press the controls. He felt the bullet before he heard it. A dull weight kicked the back of his leg and he crumpled to his knees, his face smacking against the herla. Mumbling with confusion, he shuffled himself around, staring into the darkness. A figure was crossing the snow towards him, rifle pointed. For a moment, Jack was transfixed, his mind struggling to make sense. There was no point reaching for his weapon, he'd thrown it away when the bullets had run out. 
Between him and the advancing German lay a thin trail of blood stark upon the snow. How easy it must have been for them to follow him. An Alsatian barked in the darkness. He could just make out the soldier's face, eyes brooding and dark beneath his helmet. It was too late to resist. He was finished. The rumble of artillery had ceased. Through the whining hum in his ears, he could hear the silence cloaking them. He turned his head and looked away from his executioner, whose jackboots crunched towards him. A myriad of thoughts flickered past him. Would they tell his son before the networks broadcast his death? The muzzle of the rifle brushed against his eye. He turned and glowered as the soldier squeezed the trigger. Heartbeat irregular, please wake. A computer had spoken. Jack thrashed at the tangle of sweaty sheets and sat up, panting for breath. Hello, Jack. Myra, his houseboat, had adopted a warmer tone than usual, her voice lilting from the walls. Have you had a nightmare? Yes, Jack snapped, swinging himself on to the edge of the bed. He wiped the perspiration from his torso and grimaced. Your stress levels are above five points. Would you like to talk? Maybe I can book an appointment with a mental health specialist. No, I'm fine, he replied and clapped his hands. Off! Shutting down. Good night. The voice disappeared into the silence of his apartment. He sank his head into his hands. The same dream had haunted his sleep for weeks. Myra was right. He should see a specialist. But that would disqualify him from the next time war and he had no choice but to fight. He stripped away the sheets and plumped his pillow, feeling the reassuring steel of the Glock beneath it. The floor lights shimmered as he padded across to the balcony. His reflection advanced at him from the glass doors, blonde hair cropped short, his chest tinged with scars from previous campaigns. Pausing, he glowered at himself with eyes hollow from fatigue. His expression carried a weariness from years spent inside institutions. Incubation centre, foundling home, school, penitentiary and then the military. A lifetime of following orders. He stepped into the cool night. Two hundred floors offered a penthouse view across the London skyline. Most of the tower blocks stood in darkness, the government preferring to ration energy during the curfew. Right, so right there, right there, Andrew, is the total beauty of the genius room. Because did you see what was going on there? They were completely with you until that big reveal. And you disappointed them then. You disappointed them. And they are not, uh, not sure about letting them, making their opinions felt when that happens. Jeff, what did you think? Yeah, the first bit was great. I thought it drew me in. I thought the writing was very, very good. Um, it certainly was atmosphere, atmospheric there. You could actually feel the snow around you. The dog yeah. barking. That was great. Yeah. And it kept on. It was good. I'm waiting for something to read, you know. Then he gets shot, obviously. And okay, he's not, he's not going to die because obviously it's going to be the end of the story. But then we go into that other bit, the dream bit. And it just, yeah. the whole thing to be slowed down. I know. It, I couldn't see the connection between the two, apart from the name Jack. I've seen it's the same person, I'm sure. But they just slowly I think it is. You know, I think it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah so he's made about being cheated. That's how I felt a bit. Yeah, it was a great start, but that second bit, I'd, you know, no. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. it didn't work.
Roberts just summed that up. He says it opens well with action, but it really loses me by it was all a dream. Feels like a, such an own goal after a decent opening. I think we also need more glimpses of character. Yeah, good point. But the writing and concept is very good. It has a lot of potential for me. Okay. And Corey says, I didn't feel cheated, actually, because of the time slip part of the blurb. That's interesting. I feel it. The thing is, I I felt confused then because is, was this a time slip? It wasn't a time slip. I could understand that if it was a time slip. But it was a dream. It was a dream, um, which is a sort of third option. Um, I have a feeling this part of the dream will be a scene we visit in the future. Could be. So, oddly enough, I was okay with this particular cliche. Mmm, uh, <laughs> not, sure, not sure about cliche. Damning the faint praise, Emma. Yeah, so... Um Similar reactions to everybody else in the start. I thought it was a very interesting blurb. Loved the first line. Um, I was getting feelings of Tenet meets the seven deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle coming on. Um, Which, I mean, that would be my ideal book, I think. Um, And it was atmospheric. And then when when the house bot came on, my first if i hadn't read the blurb my first um instinct would be oh he's in a game this is like a black mirror yeah. kind of thing it's, yeah. it's ai um and then i i wasn't even sure it was a dream i thought maybe we're, we're still in some kind of yeah uh ai kind of tech uh scenario yeah. or environment yeah. But, but perhaps that's because I just didn't want it to be a dream. I was like, no, no, this is, no, it's, no mm. it's, it's not a dream. We don't do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's something no. else going on that's here. Good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, um, Charum has already said, Genius Dream has already said, Star Trek, Running Man, Time Tunnel. It's not exactly a new concept, so we'd want a slightly creative twist on that. Um, sticking with you, Emma, numbers, please. Yeah, um... Another thing that I've noted down, actually, was that this reads a little bit like YA. It does. Uh, which um, is obviously something that I enjoy quite a lot. So I'm going to give this uh, a three. Fantastic. That's a good mark from Emma. Jeff. I really like that first, but I really thought it was good. There's potential there to carry that on there. So I'm actually going to give a bit more. I'm going to give it a four. Boom! <laughs> I like it. I wonder if we're going to get a five today. That would be something. Uh, Everyone said everything that I could possibly say about this, so I'm going to go for three. But I do like the potential very much, too. That's great. Oh, I think we're doing rather well today. Let's have a look at the uh, the scoreboard. Oh, right. So, my three has yet to come on. It'll go on at any second, I imagine. Um, for Andrew's submission. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <gasps> you pushed into the lead there, Andrew. 70%. Extremely respectable. More than respectable, actually. Two more submissions to go. It's, it's getting exciting, isn't it? Let's speak to Emma. Let's see what's going on in Emma's lockdown world of Bath, Yay. England. Bath is a gorgeous place. Are you seeing any of it at all? Um, not as much as I'd like, really. Uh, and it's cold, isn't it? I don't like to go out in the cold too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a bit, isn't it? So well, we can always stay inside and read and look. You are the, you know, the spider lady of the internet. Do you get people complaining to you who are arachnophobes? 
I am. I am very, very careful not to um, put too much spider content out there. Oh, really? uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a big part of my stories is encouraging people who are arachnophobes uh, to overcome their fears. I was oh. an arachnophobe. So Were you really? I understand what it's I was terrified of spiders. Yeah, yeah. Really scared of spiders. But um, before you became writing a writer, book, you were a biologist. So you're a biologist with. with with a, yeah. What else were you frightened of? Anything else? An, Snakes? an arachnophobic biologist. No, wow. no, everything else, fine. Just just spiders. Now I'm scared of everything, you know, <laughs> including going out of the house, it would seem. Yes, <laughs> yes, you can't see that damn virus, can you? Ah. Um, yeah, so um, what... Um, um, I was just going to ask you about Cassia Lupo, actually. Cassia is a good friend of the show. Yeah. She comes on quite a lot. She's an author in her own right, but she's also... A hot publisher with the Chicken House, and um, she publishes you. It's going to be incestuous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So look, she's my editor. You can tell us. You can tell. She seems very nice on the show. She seems very nice. What's she, she really like? She's brutal. She's absolutely she's yeah. brutal. Absolutely yeah. brutal. Yeah, I thought no, so. I'm, yeah. I'm kidding. She's she's lovely. She's absolutely brilliant. And I love having her as an editor because I know she's an author. I know she yeah. understands. <laughs> That's actually very unusual. That's very rare. That doesn't happen very much at all, in fact, because mostly publishers really do not. And I'm going to get shot down in flames. I don't care. It's the truth. Mostly publishers really don't understand uh, writers. They just don't understand the mechanism. If they did, I think they'd have a factory somewhere churning it all out. But they, they don't, so they've got to have wonderful people like Emma and Cassie with her other hat on. How did you come to not be a biologist anymore and, and write uh, award-winning children's books, I believe? Yes. Show oh, would us. You like to, prove it. Prove it. Yes. Them? Okay, here it is. Look at that. See if you can see that close it's beautiful. up. It's beautiful. Um, what is it? Ashtray. Do you smoke? No. <laughs> Look at that. That's that's solid glass, that is. North wow. Somerset Teachers Book Award. That's something. It's I'm not so everyone proud. has got one of those. I'm, yes. I'm really, really proud of that. Well done. Um, How because did that it's, voted, it's voted for by teachers. Yeah, so um, the best. There's only one thing better, actually, and that's being voted for by librarians. But librarians. since a lot of teachers are also librarians, I think that's that's first equal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was um such a delight. Yeah. But tell us how you, you came to make the transition from biologist to yes. um, a, slightly arachnophobic. <laughs> Is that what, such a word, arachnophobic author? I, I shall make a lot of money out of spiders. How did you come to make a lot of money out of spiders? Um, okay, so really I started writing because I wanted to do something completely different from being mm. a biologist. I'd, um, I had my kids. I was in that kind of uh, uh, sort of break from well, what am I going to do next? I'm going to yeah. do something completely different. I'm yeah. going to uh, do what I've always wanted to do, and I'm going to write a book. And, um, and, it, and it happened to be about spiders, which was a huge mistake, really, because I, I didn't like them. <laughs> now, we have, we have a lot of people in that sort of position actually watching the show. So tell us in detail. So you came with this idea. You wrote the book. What did you do next? And how, what was your route to publication? So it was actually my, the second book that I wrote. Uh, so okay. I kind of wrote myself into um, in, into learning about the, the craft of writing uh, through writing 
another book. Uh, I had, would you believe it, um, feedback very, very early on from the lovely Kessia Lupo. Well, she took an interest, did she? Yeah, that, that would have helped a lot. Festival. Yeah, I mean, that was yeah. that was huge. It was the uh, Bradford on Avon Library uh, mini book festival. I met Kessia. She gave me 15 minutes of fabulous feedback. Right. And yeah. then I got my manuscript polished up for uh, Bath Children's Novel Award, which was a big yeah. push for me. And the rest, as I say, is spider history. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, have you been using lockdown to, to produce more manuscripts? Can we expect to see more uh, uh, saga, uh, the Milton saga soon? Uh, I'm working on three different projects at the moment. So there will be more books coming from me. And I can't tell you anything about them because none of them have been announced. They keep getting pushed uh, because of COVID. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. So it's, yeah. it's all it's coming. They are coming. Yeah. I'm frantically writing and editing away and yeah. there will be but we will, will be, be the first to know me. won't we he won't tell anyone before you tell us good excellent Absolutely. we like we like a little bit of spider exclusive here great uh it's so nice to have you back on i mean let's uh, let's have Thank two you. more submissions it's getting quite tense now this is our fourth submission of the day it's a rom-com oh isn't that great we all need a bit of rom-com at the moment, a bit of escapism. Yeah, it's from Nell. Thank you, Nell, for this. Uh, there's a QR code there, too, so you can go to Nell's website. I assume that's what it is. Tell me if you know differently. Uh, it's called School in Love, and this is Nell's blurb. Wait, what? Had Nina just used a meh emoji to describe Trey's lovemaking skills? If so, he blamed the void in his life and no mom. And Sorry, and the void in his life. And no mom, he wasn't about finding his soulmate. If that's all he was, he'd found that in Nina. Attractive, but not runway ready. Instead, the kind of pretty that takes a minute. He's in no place to start anything, yet ends up taking her to a series of family benefits to help his social anxiety, he tells himself. Regardless, as long as they keep things non-serious, <laughs> what's the harm? Oh yes, I bet there is. Uh, let me tell you about now. I live in Denver, Colorado, says Nell. My first novel, Tell All. It's a good title. Won first place in RWA.RWI. It's always a tongue twister. Uh, More Than Magic Contest. My second novel, The Gingerbread House, was published um, in April 2012. My third novel, Not Your Average Joe, was published 2013. So we've got a long CV here, actually. Uh, after winning second place in RWA... Oh, I can't do all these can't do all these initials i just can't I, I think it's important you do state your writing chops i'm not saying don't do that but let's have a little bit of um you know just position the person i think that's quite quite nice um name finalist in rocky mountain fiction writers colorado gold writing contest good um also awarded honorable mention the denver film society's short film screenplay competition lastly <laughs> i got that i received my degree in english literature from the college of creative studies at uc santa barbara that's terrific and we are going to give you a terrific reading from one of Latopia's finest. It's Robert. The first page. Schooled in Love by Nell. Read by Robert. Chapter One. Look, babe, a clown! Nina Stanton cringed as a car pulled up to the gas pump behind her. She knew that voice. It was attached to a stunning face Nina was in no mood to see again the Italian supermodel Sabina Vincente. All night Nina had heard that voice, the volume ramping up with each flute of champagne, and Sabina had a lot of them, grabbing three flutes off Nina's tray alone. 
By all rights, she should wake up with one scorcher of a headache. She deserved it. Nina did not, although the beginnings of one niggled at her own temple. Of course, she'd forgotten her migraine medicine. They didn't usually start this late, but now she'd have to get home quickly. The pills worked best if taken soon after the first signs. Keeping her eyes averted from the car behind her, Nina focused on the pump's payment screen as she typed in a zip code. Seriously, what are the odds? The shrillness of Sabina's voice drilled into Nina's brain, her headache flaring up in response. Pretty good, actually. Nina's hand jerked as she slid her visa back into her wallet. Now there was a voice, husky and rough, like coarse gravel, sexy gravel. Considering we're barely a mile from the party. Slipping her wallet in her purse, Nina couldn't help but glance back at the other pump. She had to see that face again. And there he was, Trey Lancer himself, stepping out of the, wow, was that a McLaren 600 LT? Nina had seen one on the cover of a car magazine in her brother's shop, painted a striking orange. It was a sleek and low, with somehow sinful curves and those inexplicable doors that rose up vertically from the sides, like wings. Hot, hot, hot. Now came a giggle from the passenger side. Oh right, and it was my idea! Nina scowled as she lifted the nozzle from the gas pump. So, she had Miss Vincente to blame for this ridiculous get-up. Oversized pink and blue polka-dotted overalls, a yellow polyester shirt with a flancy fuchsia collar made of itty, itchy tulle, red curly wig, and of course, the thick makeup, a perma-smile plastered on her weary face. Already, Nina could feel her skin rebelling, a nice juicy blemish tingling on her chin as it emerged. Trey's skin, on the other hand, was perfect, as was everything else about him. Dark hair, thick and wavy, a la Patrick Dempsey, midnight blue eyes, the requisite chiseled cheekbones, and of course, that mouth. Full, sensual lips, he knew how to work to maximum effect moistening them occasionally with the tip of his tongue or tucking his lower, rip, lower lip between his teeth in a pensive moment. Captivating. His right front tooth jagged slightly left, but that did nothing to distract from that face. Just made it more believable. Nina had caught only one glimpse of that adorable anomaly, but it had been enough. Oh, yes, she developed quite a thing for Trey Lancer over the course of the night, and had found herself manoeuvring through the party-goers just to catch a peek at him. She knew who he was, of course. You couldn't grow up in Long Beach and not know the Lancers. Trey's great-grandfather, J.D., had started the company as the Lancer Line in the mid-twenties, soon after Long Beach attained its deep-water port status. The industry had taken off in the decades that followed, World War II providing the biggest boost. Since then, the company had expanded into several divisions, including supply chain management, logistics and energy. The shipping industry had remained lucrative, though, and the Lancer line was now second only to Maersk in the container ship market. The Lancer family and the man standing mere feet away from her were worth billions. Realising she was staring, Nina tore her eyes away and focused on the job at hand. She yanked the nozzle to the back of the car, and gingerly inserted the tip of it into the gas tank, careful of the 50-year-old paint. 
Squeezing lightly on the trigger, she kept an eye on the pump as the numbers slowly ticked up. Alright, so uh, Emma, um, a rom-com with a, a sneaky little bit of supply chain management inserted there, which I personally appreciated. What do you think? I, I know, I've gone from migraines and, and spots uh, coming on to uh, the shipping industry and, and yeah. mess. Um, yeah. By way of sexy gravel. Absolutely. Who knew that was yes. a thing? Uh, well, it is. We, I know now. I feel educated. Uh, yes. I, I don't think the story starts in the right place. Right. Uh, and I'm also quite confused about um, what's going on, really. Uh, who's talking? Uh, who the main character is, even? Um, yeah, just just a little bit baffled by that. Yeah, okay. Eva says the sensual description is justified because we are going to you know where. <laughs> um, yeah, Georgia says not the place to explain his family wealth. Victoria says if I pick this up at a store, this is a good comment. Genius room as always. I'd go on reading it for a while, uh, but I'd need some deeper emotional involvement to get far into it. Feels shallow. Yeah, it does feel a bit shallow. Kay says a bit less of the micro description of car filling will make it stronger, perhaps. Uh, Hannah says, I can't feel Nina's character. Ali says, pretty standard hero. Heroine, Jeff. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought, first thought about clowns and things and red hair. And I, thought, I was thinking about McDonald's and felt that's where yeah. some sort of business <laughs> were. But, uh, yeah, it was an interesting story. I, mean, I was a bit confused yeah. about the character, who was what, who was doing where and everything else there. But I thought the writing was very good, though. I, I quite enjoyed the writing. Yeah, yeah. Story there. Yeah, it's lively. It moves you along. Um, yeah. it, it, it's a bit frothy, but that's all right. That's what we want in a rom-com, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. See, see, that's right. I think when she, we, we, we were talking about in the garage, wherever it was, and then we seemed to be talking about this, the, the, the Lancers suddenly went to, at least the story about Lancers, their history, who they were and everything else there. Then we went yeah. back into the garage again. That middle bit should be taken out. Just to keep the whole thing about the garage or McDonald's, wherever it is. That's, that would mean, to me, would have been a much more flowing story. Whereas it's just yeah. judgery and it's, all over the place it that, is so. a bit judgery and it is all over the place uh, yeah maybe uh, Nail you should sort of put into the workshops on Latopia actually and people could tell you you know you, d you need a bit of guidance I think you probably got too deeply into this and you quite often writers can't see you know the words for the trees and stuff to mix my metaphors and you just you, you need to focus on the important stuff actually uh, Katie says flancy fuchsia tull and who knew joyful orange was sexy I don't fancy him one bit Katie doesn't fancy him it's too bad cardboard cut out smug festive she doesn't like him stereotypical but I like this writer's sense of fun and so do I so how many points Emma um I'm afraid it's a two for me. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right. If we're going to be realistic, are you going to be realistic though, Jeff? Um, afraid two for me as well. Two, all right. Yeah, all right. It's a shame actually because we can. It's a great shame when we can all see the potential in something. We we kind of like the writer, but you know it's the words on the page. So I'm going to be hard-hearted. <laughs> Sorry, it's a two as well. But I can I can see this. Definitely turning into something more than that with, you know, a bit of guidance and a bit of editing. Oh, yes, I can. Let's see what the scoreboard looks like. And my score has just gone. It's 40. So we've got two uh, 40, a 65. And Andrew's still in the lead with 70, which is going to take some challenging. Should we see if the final submission of the day will do that? It's from Anthony. It's urban fiction. I wonder what that is. It's called Osage... Avenue, and this is Anthony's blurb. 
on the edge of homelessness. 14-year-old Trigger spends his nights sleeping with the animals in the zoo, plotting ways to murder his father. He would rather spend his nights in the zoo than hearing his father continually molest his paralysed sister. And the fumes from the meth lab in the house are overbearing. With the lessons from the radical group Move and his one friend Smiley, he works to free himself and his sister while trying to forgive himself for the accident he caused that crippled her. It's interesting. Quite original. Let me um, tell you about Anthony. Um, one liner here, one sentence. I'm a former journalist that witnessed the Move, that's M-O-V-E, bombing, bombing in West Philadelphia. All right, so this looks... Intriguing, original, different, maybe intense. It's got to be Emily. The first page. All Sage Avenue by Anthony. Read by Emily. One. Each individual life is dependent on every other life. And all life has a purpose. So all beings, all things that move are equally important. Whether they are human beings. Dogs, birds, fish, trees. Ants, weeds, rivers, wind or rain. John Africa, Move founder. I was born into captivity. Charlotte would say when an animal was born into captivity, it would have a difficult time surviving anywhere else. It's born into captivity and it doesn't know how to get along outside of it. Smiley said that a captive animal has the instinct to survive outside of its cage. People are born naked and only know what they are taught. But an animal has instinct. He called me Son or Trey but my real name is Trigger. I was given the name Trigger because when my mom was nine months pregnant with me, my dad held a gun to her stomach and tried to shoot me. Whether it was just me, or us, I don't know. The trigger jammed, so I was told, and instead he just beat the shit out of her with the butt of the gun. I'd forgotten a lot of the things I'm going to talk about here, or at least I tried to forget, but time and loss have stirred many of them up. Some, though, I'm sure I'll keep safely chained away forever. In the summer between 8th and ninth grade, I was 14, and there was a terrible heatwave blanketing the city of Philadelphia. It was the summer Mayor Wilson Good dropped a bomb on our neighbourhood. I think it was the only time in America's history when a bomb was dropped on the continental United States, and it was done by our own mayor. The city was in a standoff with the Move people who were squatting in a house in Osage Avenue just a few blocks from where I lived in West Philadelphia. The Move organisation was founded and led by John Africa who, it was claimed, had the solution to all of the problems of all of the people throughout the world. They opposed science, technology, authority and modern medicine. Although deeply religious, they were labelled radicals because of their strong anti-establishment stance. Although they lived in a city, they worked to live a hunter-gatherer lifestyle and were vehemently against slavery of any type, especially the enslavement of animals. They wore their head in dreadlocks, uncut and uncombed. Natural. They led aggressive, profanity-laced demonstrations, leading to constant conflict with the Philadelphia authorities. Mayor Good couldn't get them out, and they were armed. In an impulsive and desperate moment, a small bomb was dropped from a helicopter onto the roof of their home, hitting a gasoline generator and igniting the fire that would eventually burn down 65 homes and kill 11 of the people in the move house, including five children and their leader, John Africa. The ash snowed down over the neighbourhood and the animals in the Philadelphia Zoo. 
The entire city was choking on the heat of summer and the general frustration. I slept in the zoo that night, in the tortoise pen. Backpack pillow. I could hear them scraping along looking for something, possibly a way out. There were a few large boulders they couldn't get behind, and that's where I curled up in the hay. The thing about tortoises is they live extremely long, longer than any other land animal, but most have very small brains. Some don't even have the part of the brain that allows them to feel emotion, which seems to be a plus if you're going to live longer than anything else. I guess nature has a way of working out the details. I slept in the zoo a lot of nights, most nights. I'd stolen a copy of Smiley's Master Key one day at work. Everyone called him Smiley, but his name was Sam. He called himself Uncle Sam and asked everyone to call him Uncle too, but I only called him Smiley. I didn't want him to be part of my family. He had seen animals born in the zoo and die in the zoo, some never seeing the outside of their pens and cages in their entire lifetime. Lots and lots of great comments on the uh, genius room. Kate says, I th- Kate says, I think we should have started with sleeping in the zoo. That's quite resting. Uh, Johnny says, speculative what? I'm not sure where this is aimed. It's taught writing, but I'm confused. Ankara says, too much exposition yeah, needs editing, but writing is very good. Um, Victoria says, this is well written, great first line, but the utter hardness of it reduces its reading potential audience. What did you think, Emma? Um, yes, I would. I would agree. It's very bleak, uh, which is fine um, as long as we're seeing some kind of story behind there. Um, and I want to see character rather than mm. what felt more like a history lesson. Uh, I, th- I thought the, the very first part was a bit too much backstory. Then I thought with the bombing, actually, that was a nice place to start, mm. assuming we were going to bring the main character in and see their you know, emotional responses to this. But then that then turned into, um, albeit interesting, but still um, more of a history lesson. Um, and my other, my other big note is... Um, to consider why we have this abuse element um, yeah. in the story at, at all point. and to make sure that it's not just a plot device. Yeah. Um, I would yeah. handle that extremely carefully. I couldn't agree more. In fact, I don't know who it was. It might have been Victoria saying, you know, really don't put that on the blurb. And I think I agree with that. Yeah. So uh, numbers, please. Ooh. <laughs> Difficult. Two. Two. I'm two. going with the Two. <laughs> That came from nowhere. Wow. Jeff. Yeah, I thought the writing was good in there. I thought it was really nice to touch, touch the phrase and things like that. I think, I'm sure this had been on before, actually, but anyway. It's really? I've seen, oh. Yeah, I'm sure I've seen this before. But, uh, yeah, the writing, I think, was quite good. Um, I was confused about the two different elements, the, the zoo and then the bombing elements together. It seemed to be like switching one to another too quickly and then going back to the zoo again. So, uh, for that, I don't... Parts of it I thought were good. Um, I thought the voice was there, but it's, I'm not sure whether, again, the depression is a bit all the you know, grinding depression, if you like, it might have sort of put me up a bit. So uh, yeah, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah that's, that's, that's it, really, I suppose. Numbers? Uh, three. I think right. Three. Okay, okay. That seems to be the general consensus in the chat room. Um, Robert, I kind of sums it up, actually. Robert says, there's something here, but the execution isn't quite right yet. He could have taken the words out of my mouth. I'm going to give it a three. So it's probably not the highest score of the evening, but I am going to say, Anthony, I want to call it in. I want to call it in. I want to see this. My instinct says there is something good here, and um, I want to see how this develops, and um, 
I can't guarantee to take it on as a manuscript, but I definitely want to read all of it. So hopefully that's, uh, that's good news for you. Let's just see what the numbers look like. All right, so... <laughs> it is it is you andrew uh yes you you wound just about everybody with the time war didn't you um what we need to do though is uh, we need to give our guests the one possible chance they have just to see if they want to change their vote maybe they were a bit divided on some of them weren't they particularly the last one jeff up down sideways i'm uh, fine as it is Thank you're you. gonna stick Emma. Yeah, same here. Same. You're going to stick as well. All right, fair yep. enough. We know. We know where where the uh, the guests stand and where the live vote stands. But we don't know how you feel about this because you've got six and a half days to go to litopia.com slash vote and express your preference. And your vote really is the only one that counts because you buy the books. I've really enjoyed it today. It's been wonderful having you along. Shoot it again so next Sunday, shall we? Okay.